and welcome to the fifth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. And be sure to sign up for the new monthly e-newsletter. You'll get more info about the episodes and guests and more ways to engage with musical theater past and present. My guest today is Eric Matthew Richardson. Eric is a composer and writer based in Chicago, whose recent credits include his musical, The Book of Sebastian, the online interactive hypermusical, The Leia Project, music for the immersive show, Cursed and American Tragedy, and the 10-minute musicals, Pegasus and Roleplay at Chicago Dramatists. He was featured as one of William Finn's Emerging Writers at New York Theatre Barn and has a degree from DePaul University's School of Music. We're going to talk today about Disney Parks music as musical theater. so much for being on the podcast today yeah thank you for having me this is uh i think this is gonna be a lot of fun today great well i'm excited before we get into our topic uh we'll start as we do with our get to know our guest questions Mm -hmm. what was your first experience with the musical so the first thing that i ever saw that i would call a musical i'm thinking it's aladdin um the film Mm -hmm. um it, it came out um when i was maybe you know two or something so it was just one of those vhs tapes that was around and parents could throw on i mean that was the golden age of disney musicals really and i think it it really launched a lot of people's trajectory first stage show i saw was fan of the opera um i think i was way too young to see this (laughs) uh i think my my family had taken me up to i want to say it was like toronto um we went into like a mall. It's, I, I remember this because it was, I was so scared. I was scared the entire time. The moment that the uh, chandelier falls, uh, spoiler alert for those of you <laughs> who haven't seen Fan of the Opera, um, I just, I, I couldn't handle it. Which musical has had the greatest impact on you? Right. So I think this is uh, kind of a common answer, I think, with a lot of creators or, or artists where it's into the woods. Um I, I know this answer comes up a lot because it's probably the first Sondheim that people do um, because it's so popular in high schools. And it was the first one that I was in too. And um, at the time, like I, I, I liked musicals, right? I, I was into them, but I didn't think of it as anything more than a like song and dance kind of uh, <laughs> production. Um, you know, it, it was fun. It was always somewhat of a comedy. Uh, and then uh, coming to terms with into the woods it's like oh i didn't i didn't realize that musicals could do that that they could be more um than what they could be something that was treated somewhat seriously um something like emotionally complex and and moving and it just made me so interested in sondheim's work uh so i did like a giant deep dive on on all of it and just devoured it i know everyone kind of has that same entry point through into the woods nice yeah into the Woods, an early one for me as well. Uh, what is a musical people would be surprised to find out you love, and why would they be surprised? Um, this is a an interesting one. I'm I'm 
I like love Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Um, I think if if you are familiar with it, that's probably why you would be surprised because <laughs> everything around it is essentially a failure, right? Like every every step of the way was met with hardships in the in the creation of it, and then the actual production even more so with you know injuries and just like just it, a cursed show, right? Um, and I, I have this, like, as we'll get into with the topic today, I have this, like, real interest in these, like, giant corporate creative pursuits that sometimes are just abject failures, like, just complete miss across the board. No one was working together. That is so funny to me. Um, and I just, like, I'm so obsessed with it. And I think I might, I'm, like, determined someday to make this like Rocky horror midnight showing style amateur production, like truly amateur of Spider-Man turn off the dark. I'm talking like you can see the wires. You can, <laughs> it's got, it's dangerous, you know? Um, oh, wow. I, that's such a cool idea. I would, I would go to that. Right. And I think it's like the music is already so bizarre that <laughs> it, it, it really comes off as like where Rocky horror was intentionally campy. This was, no one i don't think anyone knew that they had this like golden opportunity to like lean into uh the the terror that it wrought on all of its actors <laughs> um so yeah that's that's a musical that i'm like super obsessed with because it's it's just i don't know it's a fever dream <laughs> um and i love it i love it for that who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical? And who is your favorite villain or antagonist in a musical? So for protagonist, I chose uh, J. Pierpont Finch from How to Succeed. Um, again, maybe could be seen as an antagonist in some regard uh, in terms of like the meta commentary of the musical. Um, but I do like that he's this classic... Um, archetype of of the trickster or the joker kind of character um you know the, the the one that we've seen throughout history as this uh um this no no good like he's always up to no good but he's he's punching up to power kind of thing um sort of like a bugs bunny um and and it's it, it he's he's a stand-in as like a common man that's like a, a satirizing the managerial class um, and I just, I love the concept of that, of having this, um, just the whole concept of the show, I think is so interesting to me too, that, you know, the taking, uh, the most mundane thing in the world, which is just corporate structures and, and trying to flip it on its head and make fun of it. Um, as far as antagonists, um, I love assassins. Now it's hard to say who, who really is an antagonist in assassins, um, or who is a protagonist. Uh, but I do think overall, uh, John Wilkes Booth comes off as the the ultimate antagonist of that show. He's the one that's sort of drawing everyone along, uh, bringing them into the fold, even though there's not so much of a, a structure uh, to that to that meta narrative of it. But he is the, the one that's, that's guiding everyone along, I think. Um, and I also think that his, his reasonings uh, for what he did are like uh, of one of the few of the show that is like truly reprehensible. And I'm going to explain that in a second. Cause they're all, obviously they all did something wrong. 
Um, but I think everyone, every other character is sort of portrayed as being um, down on their luck or, or just a victim of America itself. Uh, whereas John Wilkes Booth had a, had an actual uh, agenda that was reprehensible. Great. What is your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? Uh, so I, I got really into this musical called February House. Um, I, I'm a fan of Gabriel Kahane, who who did the music. He's more of a singer-songwriter slash composer. He's got this sort of nebulous uh, identity. Um, but I, as far as I know, this is his only musical. And it, it's so unheard of that I haven't even seen it. <laughs> um, it was only up for a couple weeks uh, in 2012 at the public. Yeah, I, I did see it, actually. Yeah, You did? Yeah. I am so jealous i've only i'm trying to like piece little clips together and yeah. I, I, think I i'm trying to like hunt down the script but i have the score with me um and i just i love i love the the sonic world that he created i love uh the the subject matter is so interesting like mm-hmm. something that not many people it, it's about a, an artist colony that really existed in the 40s in new york um where it's like benjamin Britten and and um gypsy rose lee uh, W.H. Auden, like all these people were living together uh, in the middle of wartime um, and just wondering what art meant to them, what art meant to the world. Uh, it's just such an interesting topic. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? Yeah, I know that this, I'm sure this is a common answer too, but <laughs> finishing the hat is like, the the ne plus ultra of like what you can do in in music theater where it's and and the the ideal Sondheim song too of that the the classic trope of him dealing with emotions on stage and, and it, there's not a lot of action in that scene per se but you're so gripped in that moment um that that idea of like sacrificing your art for companionship and art do you when you pursue your art and sacrifice companionship are you still missing a part of yourself when you leave that behind even though the part of yourself that you wanted was in the art it's like you can't have these these two worlds um existing in the same plane uh it's just like such a specific uh complex sadness uh that comes out of george at that moment of a character that up until that point hadn't really shown a good amount of emotion uh and to to have just like a heartbreaking song at that moment it's beautiful yeah i love thinking about it as like not just the song but like where it is in the show and like what that means when we get to it at that moment yeah well great uh let's move on to our topic which is disney parks music as musical theater yeah. I'm really excited to talk about this. Uh, so it's uh, not quite what we uh, often talk about on the show, which is uh, which is what's exciting about it. So let's start with what uh, drew you to this topic. And um, yeah, we'll start there. Yeah, so I, I do like this like sort of backstory, this backstage story of me somewhat trying to convince you of this topic because <laughs> i get it like you, you, when you first hear it it's like this is musical theater i don't know but um so I, i'm saying that this whole podcast uh 
to every listener to come into this with an open mind. I, I promise that we'll, I will convince you that this is music <laughs> theater. Um, but yeah, what attracted me to this was as a kid, we, we would go to Disney World, my family. Um, but what really got me into like the, the creation of the parks was I was, I was super scared of the Haunted Mansion. Um, which is not that scary of a ride. In fact, a lot of it is kind of silly. But when you're a kid, it's dark. There's things jumping out at you. And it's it's the vibe is creepy. Nothing happening in it is super creepy per se, but, you know, the vibe is scary. And I, I started getting closer to, I want to say I was 10 or something. And I'm still scared of the Haunted Mansion. I'm thinking, well, maybe... It's time to move to put away these childish things and become a man, and you know, be able to ride the haunted mansion with with a vigor. Um, so I got really into like how the, the way I, I I could talk myself into it not being scary anymore was if I learned how everything worked. Um, so to learn, you know, the the stage tricks going on, to learn the backstories, to learn, you know, how the ghosts happen and stuff. I think there's this like heart underlying it that is the that is genuine that these these are artists that are like super into what they're creating um always trying to push the envelope and uh yeah I think we should just dive in yeah. uh, and then I'll I'll convince you at the end that this is musical theater. Let's do um, it. I'm ready to hear the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So so I'm going to start off with like a super zoomed out view um and I just want to say, like, what do you think when you see when you hear the term musical theater? What do you think it like defines that, like the the art form itself? I think there is uh, characters, a mm-hmm. uh, dramatic situation, and uh, songs, music lyrics that uh, are used to uh, propel that character through the story that's that's a great definition and a, and a definition that i will agree with and i think will apply as we move forward so and now let's get into the the history of, of disney in general um so so the the walt disney studios uh started out as we all know with with animated shorts uh where, you know your mickey mouses your donald ducks etc um but one thing that was the major attraction of these that a lot of people forget about wasn't so much Mickey Mouse. It was that these were synced with sound. Uh, they were, they had music, they had a track added into it. It wasn't like a guy at a player piano playing along with a silent film. It was like actually synced sound. He got on the ground floor of this. It's kind of a novelty at the time. Um, when you think about Steamboat Willie, uh, there's, you know, this, the music of Steamboat Willie, that's what drives the entire story. There's not really dialogue. It is truly just the music. Mm-hmm. So already we're starting with this, like, base layer of telling a story through song. Um, then the next stage, uh, beyond Mickey Mouse, were these things called the Silly Symphonies, which you might have seen a, a couple of. They were these essentially just shorts that would play before a movie um back when they did that uh and they were always music first let's animate to the music um these are things like uh, the, the, 
the famous one is the skeleton dance, which you probably see every Halloween of, you know, the skeletons, you know, they're lifting their skulls off and, and passing it down the line or chasing around in a circle. But um, we also have the, the famous Three Little Pigs with the song, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? Right, right. So we right. have a, a new song created to tell a story. So this is already, we're, we're getting into uh, taking ideas from Broadway at the time, we're just getting into the idea of like a book musical, right? Um, rather than having like, uh, let's throw a bunch of Cole Porter songs and try to stitch a narrative together. Let's have like an actual uh, new song created for this <clears throat> uh, show. And Disney's doing that in these animated shorts. Let's create a song that exists within the world of the story we're trying to tell. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Big bad wolf, big bad wolf. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Fa la 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 la. Long ago there were three pigs, little handsome piggy wigs. For the big bad, very bad, very big wolf, they didn't give three pigs. Well, what's next? We had these shorts. Uh, we've we've exhausted every possibility that we can think of with that. Let's go all the way. Let's go whole hog. We're gonna go Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs feature film. Um, and this again, they're taking notes from Broadway already. They're taking notes from existing musical material. Let's let's incorporate that framework into how we're going to tell this story of Snow White. So we have a number of songs that were created specifically for Snow White. And then that's sort of the 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 uh, skeletal structure for every Disney film coming forward. It's what we think of when we think of a Disney film um, is this animated 90-minute musical. It's where we get, uh, you know, the Disney renaissance. You know, they also pull back from Broadway. That's where we get Howard Ashman, Alan Menken. You know, they're being pulled from literally Little Shop of Horrors, Um where we get the popularized idea of an I want song. Um, yeah. I mean, so, so the, the, the DNA of the Walt Disney company is built on musical theater or telling a story through song. Now it's film. It's not live, live theater, but it is still telling this, this um, narrative uh, by incorporating music into it. Well, then we get to the Disney parks. Uh, this all started as a side project. This was not really a, a uh, Walt Disney Company uh, thing. This was a, a side project for Walt. Um, he wanted to create this, this park uh, that adults and children could enjoy together. But also at the time, you have to think of like what was even a theme park. There, there was no th theme parks. There were uh, amusement parks. There were um, carnivals, but all of these had a sort of, I don't know, like a seedy atmosphere, I guess. It was, it was somewhat of a, um, it was dirty. It was, it was kind of rough and tumble. They weren't exactly places that we think of today when we think of like the theme park. There was no framework for this themed park to, uh, to create this dream, to build this dream. What Walt does is take the animators, the filmmakers, the set designers from his movie studio, 
and essentially poach them and to create this side company that's like, hey, I just want you to figure out how to make this theme park. Um, this whole thing is going to be based on on stories. I want this immersive world, right? Um, and, and and so the, the DNA of those those musical theater uh, uh, films are already baked into the creation of this theme park. Their, their whole mantra is that uh, everything needs to have a story. Uh, your whole experience at the park sort of relies on, on a beginning, a middle, and end. There's um, walking down Main Street that could be somewhat of an overture. Um, so let's get into the music side of things. At the start, there's a lot of experimentation. That's what this whole park was, was a giant experiment on how, how are we going to tell these stories um, in, uh, in a ride? What, what is a ride? You know, what is, uh, at the time, they had carousels. They had maybe some log flumes, but um, not this idea of, like, a dark ride that we think of. Uh, so they're doing a lot of experimental work. And at the time, most of what they were pumping out were uh, recreations of movies that they had already made. Uh, I think we're all familiar with some of the rides at Disneyland. The uh, You sit in a little tiny car, very claustrophobic. <laughs> Some things shout at you, and it doesn't make a ton of sense, but you, it's it's just the story of the ride. Sometimes there's a, a, a couple songs sprinkled in. Uh, but there's still somewhat of a narrative happening uh, on that experience. Then they start thinking a little out of the box. Um, Walt wants to start uh, incorporating some some new stuff, some stuff that isn't based off of this existing IP. So we come to uh, what I call the annoying songs <laughs> um, that everyone uh, sort of thinks when they think Disney Parks music, it, it's where their brains go. And a lot of this is is created by this songwriting brother team, uh, the Sherman Brothers. Uh, They're famous for uh, Mary Poppins. Uh, the I believe they did The Jungle Book. So it's it's people who like came from the film world and know how to create uh, a, a Disney song. Um, but the first show that they make is this show called uh, the, the Tropical Serenade, uh, which is what we all refer to as the Tiki Room. Um, and this is the first show that incorporated these new audio animatronics that, that was Disney's sort of uh, pet project. And so we have these this room full of singing birds, uh, essentially presenting a a cabaret for for the audience. I think at the time they wanted to make it um, uh, a restaurant, but it, it ended up just being uh, just a show that you could go sit in. Uh, and it has somewhat of an original. It has one original song, and then a couple songs sprinkled in that I think were existing songs prior, um, that were kind of. Not it wasn't so much a narrative. It, it was it was a cabaret, right? It's you go to fifty four below, you see someone sing a couple songs, and and you leave and you're happy. But it did have an, an original song, the first original song written for Disney Parks, which was the Tiki 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 Room. Ole, ole, it's show time. 
In the tiki 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 room, in the tiki 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 room, all the birds sing, bird and the flowers croon. In the tiki 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 room, welcome to our tropical hideaway. You lucky people, you. If we weren't in the show starting right away, we'd think the audience too. All together in the tiki 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 room, in the tiki 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 room. All the birds sing word and the flowers croon. In the tiki 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 room. I sing so beautiful, I should sing solo. See, so low we can't hear you. My voice may not be so marvelous, but my profile is out of this world. Jawohl, but the trouble is, it's not far enough out of this world. Isn't that right, Herr Schmidt? Oh, I see, Schmidt has no hair. Mi amigo, stop the clucking. You sound like a bunch of old hands. There's a lot of birds waiting to go on. For instance... The boys in the Um... Written by the Sherman Brothers. And they have this very interesting style of... Um, and we'll see this come up a couple times. They, they, It's very unique in that their verses and choruses often match um, musically. Like the, 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 uh, cor- the chordal structure underneath. Uh, which gives it this sort of catchy vibe, right? Like you're hearing the same thing over and over again, but they're presenting new melodic material over top of it and that's that's like an instant hit maker right and it, it kind of creates this this circular uh structure to it where it can just keep going and keep going however long you need but there's still this sort of complexity to it like they aren't exactly children's songs there's a lot of lyrics going you know, it's, it's a rapid fire lyrical content that's coming at you so then moving on from that comes the 1964 World's Fair. And Disney gets contracted by a couple companies. They, they love the success of Disneyland. I, we want our own original rides that you're going to make for us. So we have uh, General Electric asks him to just create whatever he wants. And he creates this show called The Carousel of Progress. Pretty unique show. Uh, it is truly a circle th- uh, that you sit in. And it's sort of divided into, I think, four sections. And the audience rotates around these these four different scenes of a single family uh, throughout time. It's a little frightening because they never get older. <laughs> They're just the same age throughout all of history. Um, but uh, to tie this all together, uh, which is sort of a, a theme we'll see, is that the music is often used to tie this all together. He contracts the Shermans again. Says, hey, I need a, I need a hit song. Uh, I need something to, to really bring this to life. And they create uh, this song called There's a Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day there's a great big beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow is just a dream away Man has a dream and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart And when it becomes a reality It's a dream come true for you and me So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day there's a great big beautiful tomorrow just a dream away pretty 
simple title and, and it gets straight to the point. And that's that's kind of their genius, right? Is that they don't they 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 can write something that seems like it's existed since the dawn of time, but it never did before. Um and yeah. they write something that is is simple enough to adapt to different scenes. Um so the idea of I don't want to call it a reprise or something, but it, it, it's like a, the same musical material that we've heard, but in a different context. So with each scene, we have this new uh, orchestration playing that's that's representative of the time. Um, you know, we have this 1920s ragtime feel. We have like a 40s uh, military kind of uh, wartime era pomp and circumstance. And then... Uh, I forget what the original was because obviously this came out in the 60s, but now they go up to like uh, what the 80s thought the future was. Um, <laughs> so I think like a kid like playing like a VR headset, but yeah. you know, it's this very adaptable uh, tune that gets presented in a lot of different orchestrations. Like there's synths at the end as opposed to, you know, the rags of the of the original uh, context that you heard it in. Um, it's like a theme in variations almost. Uh, and then we get to uh, the other show that they were contracted to do, which was um, It's a Small World, which I believe was presented by Pepsi or maybe UNICEF. I can't remember. Maybe it was both. Uh, odd combination. But, uh, yeah, so, look, I get it. I say this word once, or that, that title once, and it's 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 over for a lot of people. But I do think, um, I do think there's, like, an uh, – oh, the way it's presented – with children singing, up tempo, somewhat of a, a, a calliope sound going on. It's it's not exactly the most attractive thing to listen to, but uh, there are a couple of versions where w- some of the Shermans will will play it at, at a slower pace, and I think they've actually said afterwards that this was somewhat of a rough draft song that they had presented to Walt because the original plan was to have each room uh, that has the different uh, super stereotyped <laughs> nations of the world, um, they were all going to sing their own national anthem. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a great idea. That sounds like the first idea you would think of. And then when you do it in practice, you realize you're you're hearing 15 different national anthems echoing throughout the entire room. It's just not viable, given the space. Um, I think, you know, the, the famous uh, Sondheim quote of content dictates form. <laughs> um, this is one of those cases. Uh, like, you, you have this, this space uh, that is asking for one song. So they, they pen this single song that, again, uses that formula of same chords in the verse and the chorus. Uh, that way we can come in and, and fade it in and out whenever we need. And the lyrics to the 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 chorus are obviously simple enough, easily uh, translated into different languages. But I think the verses really have this like intriguing emotional heft to it that gets lost when you're actually on the ride. But when when they play it, it really comes out in, in a very touching way. Um, it's a world of laughter, a world of tears, it's a world of hopes, and a world of fear. 
shying away from the darkness of life yeah like there, there's the, the the obstacle is presented in the, the like first there we have this obstacle and but then actually we're going to overcome that it's right like and you nice got to think setup. of it in the context of the time that this was created this was 64 so we're at the height of the cold war um tensions are high all over the globe uh and so this they they've gone on to say or to call this song uh, a prayer of, of peace. Like they want uh, this, mm-hmm. this world unity at a time that was so broken. Um, and it's uh, later on in the second verse, they say, uh, though the mountains divide and the oceans are wide, it's a small world after all. And it's kind of, I mean, for, for a children's song, um, kind of cuts at something a little deeper. And I know it's it's very simple. And that, that was that is the genius of it is how simple <laughs> and complex it can be at the same time. Um, yeah, I would yeah. also say it sounds like it more sounds like form dictates content. You have the form yeah. of <laughs> it, it. Well, it's 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 this very like unifying thing, right? Yeah. They're they're thinking in of, of ways to it's it's a totality, right? It's a it's an entire experience as opposed to a proscenium. Mm-hmm. Um, when you have a stage show, you can control a lot more. But once you thrust someone into that experience, it no longer becomes controlled. It's like it's so individualized. Um, leads me into the ne- next section about. Yeah. Well, this- I was going to say before you move to that, it's interesting yeah. to think of the two songs we just talked about, Caris- the Carousel of Progress song and this song. And I guess this is the nature of a, a ride song, but it is interesting how you have you're moving through the different you as the audience you're moving through and the one thing that unites the whole experience is is this song as it you know as you said with the carousel of progress moving through the different time periods that's what the song does but even in small world it's like this is the we have to get it's kind of like a kernel song in a show like in a musical um like this is the this song encapsulates the theme of your show you know it's it's like um let's go back to into the woods it's like those little musical motifs right Mm -hmm. that keep popping up throughout the whole show now this is just a single motif so it's a but it is (laughs) a connective tissue of that brings the whole ride together yeah um but yeah going back into that individualized experience that's another thing that the parks were doing that no one else had done before is this idea of immersion um 
immersive theater was not really around yet in, in what we think of as immersive theater now. Um, but moving on to, to our next section <laughs> uh, is the idea of the dark ride. We already we, we touched on this with uh, Small World. Um, but when you think of Disney parks, you're thinking, hey, these rides where you get on them, you're in a little car and, and let's let's see a story. Right. Um, not necessarily a roller coaster. Not necessarily. Uh, there's not exactly a big heightened moment. Uh, it's just a, a a story told in about five minutes or so. In the dark. In the dark. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so the, the the first one that, that really kind of fits in this formula, that's an original uh, piece that they create, is the Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, the writer of this experience, which is kind of a funny thing to think about, is a, a writer for a, a ride, uh, is this guy named Exitensio. Uh, who is a, sort of a legend in in the Disney parks uh, lore, um, and he teams up with this guy George Burns or Bruns, pardon me, Bruns, um, who was pulled from the the film world. He had he had done music for Sleeping Beauty, Hundred One Dalmatians, Jungle Book, so he is already experienced in creating these these musicals. Now, Pirates of the Caribbean, somewhat of a, a odd story you know that there's there's it starts off sort of dark and eerie gets into this fun campy adventure and that song yo-ho yo-ho a pirate's life for me plays through essentially the whole thing like connecting that thread we could get into that but i'd rather get into what got me into the disney parks which is a similar ride the haunted mansion um again another existencio hit uh, you can see how he got his legendary status. You know, if you're following up pirates with the Haunted Mansion, you're good enough to retire at that point. <laughs> um, but another uh, Disney Parks composer comes in named Buddy Baker, who was also in film and TV, and they collaborated on this song that we'll get to in a moment. But let's zoom out again on, on the Haunted Mansion. This originally started as uh, a walkthrough attraction that Walt had wanted to create called the Museum of the Weird. Um, and you were supposed to go into uh, different rooms and there would be like parlor gags and you'd have a little guide. Um, an interesting experience for sure. Well, eventually morphed into, they wanted to do a ride. Uh, however, they couldn't really agree on what direction they wanted to take. So there were essentially two camps. Uh, this guy named Claude Coates um, was sort of leading this team on creating these scary, um, moody, grim environments and, and really wanted to make something uh, grotesque. But then there's also this this guy named Mark Davis, who was an animator, who was always brought in to make these, like, let's create some more character in these rides. And he wanted to make something that was more gags and, and, and sort of a funny, lighthearted approach. So Exitensio, being the, the director of this whole affair, says, hey, let's just smash these two ideas together. Let's have the funny and the scary. We'll, we'll find a way to thread the needle. Well, how do they thread the needle? Uh, and it's with the music. Uh, it, there, there isn't so much of a, a, a clever transition between those two worlds apart from the music guiding you along. So let's break it down. We start off in... Uh, the scary realm. We're in this uh, uh, parlor 
You're, you walk in, um, and you, you see a, a portrait that is changing in front of your eyes into a skeleton. Already frightening my eight-year-old self. <laughs> um, but what, what do we hear at that moment? We hear the beginnings of this melody. Not even the melody, it's really the bass line. Um, being carried on the wind, uh, you hear a little organ, perhaps. But it's, it's definitely a very stripped-down version. As we move on to the ride itself, uh, that's, that little melody still gets it gets morphed into something new, something a little more ethereal, uh, but it is still that like very stripped down, uh, quiet, haunting melody um, carrying through and around you uh, as you aboard this ride. So already the, 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 the story is being told. It's unfolding before you, and you are the main character. Um, as we move through the ride, there's something a little different that hasn't been done before, which is uh, the idea of diegetic music. Um, diegetic meaning music that appears to be coming from its source. Uh, so this, this musical ensemble starts developing in front of your eyes. You, you pass by a piano, and it's playing that same melody and this sort of uh, Russian, uh, romantic, uh, clangy sort of way. Um, there is no pianist at the piano, but still it's it's like, I don't know, it's, it's very dark and foreboding, but it's still synced with that that sound, and it's, it's adding on top of it. So there's one layer introduced. We move into a, um, a seance, uh, filled with, with instruments floating around you, and those instruments are playing the same tune, Grim Grinning Ghosts. Um, we see the ballroom, uh, the famous ballroom scene of, of the ghosts uh, dancing through the table and, and shooting at each other. And um, we, There's a giant organ in the room uh, that is playing a super distorted, it's, it's you know hitting the wrong notes, and it's sort of a waltz. So we're seeing this, there's a reason why these people are dancing at this, at this party. And then we move into a, a wedding room, or a, a room with the bride, rather. Um, and what do we hear incorporated in that main theme? But the wedding march. Uh, so so there's, there's this story being formulated that is threading these, these disparate scenes together, and it's building. And then finally we get to the gags, right? So up until this point, it's been somewhat about a chilling uh, adventure that you've been going on, a tour of, of the Haunted Mansion. But then you fall out into the graveyard, and this song that has been so scary the entire time, that has been presented as, as something that is frightening, turns into this uh, jamboree. When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, happy haunts materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim, grinning ghosts are to socialize. Close your eyes and don't try to hide For a silly spook, they sit by your side Shrouded in a darkish hide They pretend to terrorize When we most not to socialize The moon climbs high over the dead oak tree. Spooks arrive for the midnight tree. Creepy creeps with eerie eyes. 
so really this this music is this connective tissue that runs through this entire ride and it and it really does tell the story for the ride um and brings it all together um and that that final grim grinning ghosts is so um joyous when you get there like the 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 lyrics are funny uh the orchestration is very uh 60s um it's just so iconic yeah uh, and 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 it to uh, there's a lot too there's a lot going on. it's a longer ride so the lyrics move by quick but they never really repeat in that room um because mm. there's just so much to that to that song yeah no it's a great song it actually reminds me of um the the song for the movie the blob the the burt yeah. Bacharach song which is like also just like a a fun song for a scary uh i movie or idea you know right i always thought it kind of felt like uh the monsters theme too mm-hmm. which is uh or which was also sort of sent up in agatha all along this past year um the the song from wandavision but oh, yeah it, okay it, it's a nice uh way to end the ride where it's like that is the joke is that you're not going to get scared at all it's that you know you're building to the, what seems to be this giant jump scare but really it's it's more of a happy release moving on from that is is what's going on uh in the current dark ride world um there's a ride and i want to be clear on this ride I'm not interested in the content of the ride. I'm interested in the, what's going on musically. So we're all familiar with Splash Mountain. Uh, interesting choice of film to present. I don't know why they did, because it came out in, I think, the 90s. Very late to be promoting that film. But uh, why I wanted to bring it up is that this is a dark ride where they actually altered some of the songs from the film um, lyrically to create a more um, clear story for the ride. So they took songs from the film and, and put them in, but they, they still alter the lyrics to, to make it an I Want song where Br'er Rabbit wants to get out of the Briar Patch. And he's like, I'm, I want to go on a new adventure. That's his I Want song at the mm-hmm. beginning. Yeah, um, and this is this is Song of the South, which has yeah, a song. lot of uh, racist uh, Quite. stereotypes. Um, uh, the song Zippity Doodah comes from there. Right. Uh, yeah. Um but and thankfully they are they are changing it. Uh I don't know why it had to be that movie to begin with, but they're <laughs> yeah. going to change it to Princess of the Frog, which has some great songs. Um uh, and from what I hear, they're going to do something similar where they're going to adapt like a new story. Um so it's going to take place after the events of the film, um Princess and the Frog. So I'm I'm curious what they'll do musically with that cuz I I'm Randy Newman songs. I love Randy Newman. Um, and I'm sure they'll try to do something interesting like they did with 
uh, Splash Mountain. But yeah, I just like the idea that it is more of a, uh, they, they took the extra thought of like, let's actually create a consistent musical narrative right. throughout this ride that is told through song um, rather than just a hodgepodge of scenery. And they, they, they sort of take that into uh, what's going on uh, with current rides too. So I, I, I've written it, but I don't remember. Does it, does the narrative like incorporate the actual splash? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. So, so he, uh, he, the whole thing is like, oh, I want to go on an adventure. I want to leave my hometown. So he goes to uh, what is called the Laughing Place, but he gets caught by uh, his nemesis, Br'er Fox, mm-hmm. who um, wants to uh, kill him, I think. And then uh, being the trickster that he is, he says, whatever you do, you shouldn't throw me over into the briar patch. So it's sort of like mm. he's saying like, oh, I, I I can get out of it if he throws me over into that briar patch, which is what you do as as the uh, ride goer, um, which is the, the climax is the turning point. Right. And then you go into the finale, the 11 o'clock number of zippity doo dah after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it still takes this this like musical structure, the structure of a musical, but then puts it into this immersive narrative uh, ride that's like, you know, what, maybe 10 minutes. Uh, there is, of course, a lot of themed entertainment uh, in the Disney parks as well. They did, they did some cabaret stuff of just popular songs. Um, then they started looking into bringing in their popular films and, and bring the, the music from that into the park. So uh, what I believe to be the first one of this was called The Voyage of the Little Mermaid, which was supposed to be uh, a hastily created thing that was going to be there for like a year until they completed a ride. People loved that. It, it's it's very interesting. It like incorporates like laser lights and, and puppetry and, and live singers uh, into like a th- 20 to 30 minute retelling of The Little Mermaid. Uh, and it's been running for for thirty years. Uh, it's just wow. it's never really it's just been ongoing. I mean that's longer than most Broadway shows. Uh, they did that with Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, I actually think that the original Beauty and the Beast on Broadway team was all pulled from the Disney parks. So mm-hmm. it was people that were used to directing this sort of theme park stuff. But you know, let's put that on stage and. You know, now Disney Theatricals is is one of like the big mega producers of our time, um, but there's also this other more interesting section of this that uh, you don't see a ton of, but does uh, fascinate me more, which is taking uh, Disney films that were not musicals and then turning them into musicals for the Disney parks, and I think the like perfect case study of this is this show called finding nemo the musical um came out in 2007 so a couple years after the film but it was written by the lopez's so kristen anderson lopez and and robert lopez famous for uh you know uh avenue q uh in transit uh frozen uh, you know everything. They're they're the Lopez's. Um, <laughs> look them up if you have some time. I'm sure you'll uh, be familiar with their work. Right. Um, but it still follows this formula of like, let's do something about 40 minutes. You know, it's not a full length show, which I think is very challenging to do to to take a full movie, 
turn it into a musical and also make it about half as long, um, as well as something that is approachable to the entirety of an audience that comes to the Disney parks, right? I mean, we're talking people from all over the world, people of all ages, backgrounds. How do you make something that is easily understood but still has, like, I don't know, interest to it? Right, right. Um, but it, it, the, the curious thing, the, the reason why I'm so interested in, in Finding Nemo is that it is uh, good. <laughs> um, <laughs> this seems like a show that should have been on Broadway first instead of in the theme parks. Uh, the music is like top caliber. Um, the the costume design is like, it's it's these puppets that are controlled by the actors as they're singing and really interesting designs. It's the same uh, puppet designer that made uh, The Lion King on Broadway. Yeah, I was going to say it has that similar feel to it. Yeah, yeah. And when it, you it, watch it. it. On, yeah, at least like, on YouTube. <laughs> you I haven't seen it live. Yeah, you can watch the character or you can watch the the actual performer, but they're both like emoting the same. It's really it's a really cool thing to watch and takes a lot of skill. But also the the music is like top notch. Um but just taking this like idea of of trying to truncate a show into that it takes a ton of skill and just shows you how good the Lopez's are at what they do of like how do you take finding Nemo this this odyssey uh and and distill it into this this emotional 40 minute piece that can make you tear up a little um and it's it's they just picked a single theme um i think Kristen said that they wanted to uh focus on the idea that the world can be a little scary right that was that was the through line of the whole thing um and to just just to take that and run with it but i'd like to talk about like what is happening currently and what I think the next phase of this is. Um, like I've spoken before, the Lopez's, you know, they've been, they've been involved. Uh, Disney is certainly on a quest to uh, obtain every piece of IP available. Um, <laughs> and just, you know, they're, they're trying to incorporate as much of that as they can into the parks now, rather than creating something new original like we saw with the Haunted Mansion or Pirates of the Caribbean. They're saying, hey, we have this huge back catalog. Let's try to bring this in. But with that, you have amazing composers that that have worked with, with Disney, uh, are seeking collaboration with Disney. So Lopez's uh, Alan Menken has been obviously a, a huge Disney name, but has created an original song for a Disney park out in China. Um that or no i'm sorry in in japan tokyo disney sea uh really interesting ride uh called sinbad's storybook village uh tells the story of sinbad uh the the old ancient tale uh but he wrote a song called compass of your heart that is a pretty good alan menken song that they love out in tokyo disney sea but also there's this long-running rumor of we know that lin-manuel miranda has worked with disney countless times now and Kanto is huge um there's this long-running rumor that he's gonna work with weird al on on reworking the hall of presidents to make oh, it wow. something else uh who knows what that could be um also there's like uh, uh the muppets keep springing up and they're always <laughs> sort of uh 
doing something musical around the parks and they just seem like they're like they're t- tossing them into places where they can fit them the muppets um, always keep springing up that's what exactly. they do yeah <laughs> they, they're resilient folk but also they're, they're really leaning into this idea of uh immersion now uh obviously all theater is kind of leaning into immersion now and you know why wouldn't disney follow suit they sort of originated this um but they are kind of experimenting with more like immersive theater um there was this uh long running nightclub that was like purely for adults uh called the adventurers club that had multiple rooms that you could go in and there were bars in each of them but also there was a little narrative thread of like these these society of adventurers that got together and put on a show for everyone in the club and each room had its own little experience different songs going on you could weave in and out as you please Hmm. that doesn't exist anymore um but it does have like that that was so beloved by the community that has sort of launched into its own uh world within the disney parks and and um, I think they do look back at that fondly and are trying to find ways to expand on that idea. Um, coming up pretty soon, uh, this Star Wars hotel, the Galactic Star Cruiser, is coming out. They have shown a little clip of um, a a nightclub performer that is, you know, a, a themed. Uh, it's like a themed room, and there is a a band and a singer, and there's an original song. Now, that is my case for why <laughs> Disney Parks music are music theater. And I hope that uh, that long rambling uh, of a madman uh, <laughs> eventually convinced you that, yeah. in fact, everything at the Disney Parks is musical theater. Yeah, no, I'm very much convinced. Um I love thinking about those rides as musicals, even if it's, you know, with one song that's that's doing that work. Yeah, I think I would love to see more, like now that I'm thinking of the rides in this way, like more rides that um, focus even more heavily on like character yeah, and yeah. Um, like even one, maybe not even ones that, we know from like a movie that the ride's based on but like 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 say haunted mansion like 2.0 where like we're with um you know we 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 get to know a ghost or two uh, there actually is yeah. somewhat of a haunted mansion 2.0 that is beloved but not in the u.s uh, They're called mystic manor um and does follow a, it's a little monkey uh, throughout his he's sort of the troublemaker and caused the mansion to to come ah. to life but um has uh a, an original soundtrack by danny elfman so again you know everyone oh, wow. to parks. but um yeah i think your point about character as we move forward like these animatronics are only getting better so as we get uh the technology uh you know pushes forward i think we're gonna see more um I don't know, like more uh, precise narratives, more mm. more character injected into these experiences, like you said. We should move into the why is this so good section where we're going to talk about a song from Finding Nemo, so um, uh, which is called uh, The Big Blue World Reprise, uh, the finale of the show. 
so yeah, why did you pick this song for why is this so good? So I, I touched on this earlier. This show is like so weirdly emotional for a show that exists at a theme park. Um, it gets into, you know, real fears of, of being frightened in a, a world you don't understand. It gets into like family issues of, you know, lashing out against your parents and maybe regretting that. Um, and it does it in a way that is, again, accessible. It's, it's a like I said, it's a large audience that comes to these things. It's not the most complex lyrics. It's very simple, very clean. Like it, it, they get to the point, but you know, that doesn't sacrifice the, the emotional heft uh, of the piece itself or, or the complexity of, of what's going on. Um, and like I said earlier, even though it is this, this giant commercial product that is designed really to just eat people up for, you know, an hour or 40 minutes, whatever, however long this is, it's like, it, it, it dares to be sincere. Um, it, it could easily have just been the bare minimum of like, hey, I want, let's just make a musical of Finding Nemo. We'll hit all our plot points. But instead, it, it tries to hit on something like emotionally honest, like something universal. Um, there's no reason for it to be <laughs> as good as it is. Uh, and it just shows it's a testament to the Lopez's genius um what uh what's going on in, so this is the last moment of the show the what's, last moment. what's so been going this, on at this point uh if you're not familiar with finding nemo nemo of course goes off on his own adventure uh he he is uh part of his fin is is missing so he's not the greatest swimmer and he has gone missing he's actually been captured by uh a dentist <laughs> this sounds very <laughs> uh wild but he gets he gets captured by dentist, but he gets put into a, an aquarium in the dentist office his dad and and doesn't know that his dad goes on this uh odyssey across uh the ocean to find his son um and through that process his dad is also uh experiencing this wild scary world that he was so afraid of his son uh experiencing and realizing that uh, he can, he if he can manage this and he can get through this through the help of you know his his compatriots, then so can Nemo. And then uh, they they save Nemo uh, through a, a series of coincidences, as these things always tend to go. And this is the the end of the show. Um, we have returned uh, back to our home, and. Uh, Nemo or uh, Marlin, who's the dad, has now uh, allowed Nemo to go off on his own back to school, and and is giving him a little extra space, while Nemo is also recognizing uh, the the love that his dad has for him. Um, so it is this sort of return moment to 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 the home uh, after our long odyssey. So tell me, Dad, what's it like to cross an entire sea? Son, I don't know. Let's go home together. Then you'll tell me. Wanna make it three? Time for school! Time for school! I go to school? Not really. Climb aboard, explorers! Now go and get some knowledge. And come home when you're done. Don't worry, I'll be careful. But remember to have fun. Everybody, find a buddy. Nemo, that means you. Wait, there's something I forgot to do. Love you, Dad!
I love you too, son. Now go have an adventure! Yeah, it's it's a really sweet song, and I love um, the moments, uh, especially at the very end when they're all saying goodbye to each other. Um, I guess he's going into school. They're talking about yes, the going to school. <laughs> but uh, no, I think the the hook is is really it's it's a remarkable chorus. I mean, I wish I could have written something like that. Uh, maybe not the Finding Nemo musical, but it's just. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're a hit factory, those Lopez's. I mean, there's nothing like, but I think this is your point. Like, there's nothing like super flashy to point out about the lyric because it's just, um, it's very simple. It's got a lot of different characters coming in um, at a certain point, but otherwise it's it's that chorus and... um, Right, I think it's yeah. it would have been easy for the Lopez's to come in and you know try to throw in, you know, five dollar words or something <laughs> to make it make them feel like they're you know you know we're serious composers, but no, they they as as the kids say, they understood the assignment, um, and they, but still were able to make something that was um, I don't know interesting. Uh, it has has something to look into rather than just. Uh, right off entirely as uh, a theme park product mm-hmm. um, and like I said it, it's it's hard to make something that is for a wide wide audience <laughs> it's hard to make something that is uh, l- can be accepted by the widest range of people as possible I think it's far more easy to make something that is is niche or only interesting to you right mm-hmm. uh, broaden that to everyone conceivable in the whole world uh when you have that as as your audience it's i don't even know how you approach that and not to belittle the fact that they actually are probably playing to far more people than anything on broadway has mm-hmm. um you know that's a thing to think about with these things is that you know fr- from the Hana mansion to to finding nemo more people have gone through those experiences than they have fan of the opera even um, you know, these are things that run constantly every day for decades. Whereas, you know, your, your lay misses, your, your phantoms, your wickeds, that's once a night, sometimes twice, uh, mm-hmm. and is a, an expense for that. That is, uh, not packaged with every other experience possible. 
Um, so yeah, that, that it, it, it's it's a curious form. It's a curious art form, right? It's it is commercial. It's adaptable. It's um, uh, but still has this weird creative energy behind it that, that you don't see uh, everywhere. Well, cool. Well, let's move on to our final section, something wonderful, where we just talk about something upcoming, upcoming or current in musical theater uh, that we're excited about and want to give a shout out to. Yeah. So this is more of like this isn't something that I'm I know is happening in terms of something I'm expecting to happen. So uh, unfortunately, we lost Stephen Sondheim this last year. Uh However, one possible upside of that is that I do believe that we're going to see this just explosion of revivals of his work. Um, I got I got to see Assassins uh, right actually when he was still alive. It was I got to see uh, the previews, um, but at the same time, Company was also up, and it's like oh, it already felt like the energy was going that way. Then West Side Story, the film, um, came out. Um, tick tick boom heavily features sondheim like it just seems like the winds are, are in his sails um still to this day so I, i'm hoping we see more i know there was like there was a, a rumor going around that andrew garfield and daniel radcliffe might be in merrily uh we roll along on broadway i don't know if that really is happening who knows but um also he had this this show that was supposed to open up possibly this year called square one that we don't know a ton about. Um, he just announced it on Colbert last year. I know it was at some point going to be produced this year. I don't know if that's still in the books or not, but I don't even know what, what degree of like finished it is, but I'm sure someone, one of his, his many, uh, tentacles of, of composers that have infiltrated the world, um, might take it up or, or maybe just, we'll see, some i don't know encore's performance of it or something um i don't i'm just i'm I'm curious to see what happens in the future with his work because it just seemed like everyone like everyone has his eyes on him currently and it just makes the most sense that there would be this giant explosion of of sondheim come here which is such a funny thing to to talk about like immediately after talking about disney parks (laughs) complete opposite side of the spectrum of like someone who's just so uh, into the art for the sake of the art kind of thing. And I'll just add, I want to give a shout out to uh, Sarah Taylor Ellis has a, a new book uh, out called, uh, or coming out soon, I um, called Doing the Time Warp, Strange Temporalities and Musical Theater. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to, to reading that book. And... Um, and a lot of good, a lot of good uh, musical theater books coming out lately. So, uh, yeah. a lot to read as well as see. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scene to song at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast. Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow us on Instagram at scene to song on Twitter at Scene2Song, and on Facebook at scene to song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter at scene2song.substack.com. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. 
Check back here in two weeks for our next episode.